I'm Brian Barnett. I'm just a regular guy. I'm not a doctor. I have no legal license in any field of psychology. But I did live a large part of my life with borderline personality disorder unknowingly. And I really did rid myself of the disorder completely and permanently. Through that, I've become an expert on issues involving emotional health. I accept no responsibility whatsoever for your feelings, thoughts, behaviors, decisions, and actions, including your decision to watch or listen to this show at all. But I do hope you might benefit yourself from the insights I share. let it go and move on have you ever heard somebody say that before when I was beginning my own authentic recovery from borderline personality disorder something that I used to live with unknowingly and something that I authentically rid myself of completely it used to drive me nuts when I'd be trying to express some tremendous injustice committed against me in my life and people would say this to me forget about it let it go most people unhelpfully talk about this as forgiveness forget about it let it go you need to just let it go move on I wish I could say that they improperly or even falsely talk about this as forgiveness but unfortunately for anybody hoping for real insight on the subject it just ain't that simple most people use the word forgiveness when what they really mean unknowingly mean is acceptance and this is especially true in many religious contexts In fact, in preparation for this, I browsed through the Bible and realized that in many cases, when the Bible talks about forgiveness, what it's actually talking about is acceptance. What is acceptance? Acceptance, we've talked about many times in the past, as being able to look at a thing and just see it for what it is, no matter how we feel about the thing. But another way to describe it is acceptance is when we stop emotionally rebelling against a reality. So, forget about it. Let it go. You need to just let it go and move on. What are all those examples of? If, if you can do that, what is that an example of? It's an example, isn't it? of you ceasing to emotionally rebel against a reality. Forgiveness, a lot of people call this, but it's really acceptance. It's not unusual for many of the words we use in everyday speech to carry several distinct connotations. Each connotation 
completely unrelated to the other. I'll give you an example. The word light. What determines the meaning of the word light? It's context, isn't it? If I ask to help you carry your groceries into the house and you tell me, you know what, Brian, no thanks. These bags are light. I understand immediately that you're not suggesting that the bags that you're carrying are emitting rays of illumination. Likewise, if I tell you that uh, the picture on my television screen ain't light enough for some movie I'm watching, you immediately understand that I'm not talking about its weight. I'm talking about how bright the picture is, right? In most cases with words that carry multiple connotations, the context makes things clear. However, every once in a while, particularly with anything related to emotional health, great misunderstandings and confusion occur when a really important word carries multiple connotations and worse yet, when the various connotations are subtle in their differences. The reason for this is that people are already living with misunderstandings or a complete lack of understanding. And so when you add on top of that words with multiple connotations, it is a recipe for disaster. Because it prevents people from seeing and understanding things clearly and therefore advancing. I can tell you, in the work that I do, talking to people about these subjects, that creates a lot of unnecessary confusion. It prevents people from, from advancing in their emotional health growth or their authentic recovery from an emotional disorder creates confusion unnecessarily I should say and it leads people to do things in ways that they believe are right but that are not right the average person means two distinct things when they speak of forgiveness not one thing two entirely different things number one is letting go of resentment and letting go of resentment as we've already described it is just acceptance remember what I said acceptance is one way we talk about it is just looking at a thing and saying well that's what it is no matter how I feel about it I can see the truth I can see what's really there before my eyes no matter how emotionally opposed I am to that but remember the other way that I said is just as accurate a way to describe it it's when we stop emotionally rebelling rebelling Jenny rebelling against a reality resentment if you think about it resentment is a form of denial why do I say that resentment is a form of denial so if you're living re with resentment somebody's really wrong to you and you walk around 
full of resentment all the time. Why do I say that that thing inside of you, those emotions that you're walking around with, are a result of denial? It's because of this. The resentment is being born from denial. It's being born from an imaginary world of shoulds and should nots. The more you think about it, the more you'll realize that what I'm telling you is is true. The feelings of resentment are being born from emotional rejection of reality. Because the, the conversation inside your head would go something like this. He shouldn't have been a, able to get away with that. He shouldn't have treated me that way. She shouldn't be able to talk to me that way and just walk away and nothing happen. What is all that? It's denial. Because do we live in that world of shoulds and should nots? I think I'm going to mention uh, this again a little bit later, but it's a ridiculous false premise. We don't live in the world of shoulds and should nots. It's not constructive at all to sit around this shouldn't have happened he shouldn't be allowed to do this and get away with it he should this shouldn't have happened she shouldn't be able to say that and then just nothing bad happened to her okay you can sit around and and wallow in these in this fictional universe of shoulds and should nots and lose lots of time and energy doing so but at the end of the day does it change what just is it doesn't this is why I say that in most cases it's not constructive to think in terms of shoulds and should nots now there is a legitimate use for it uh, and that is when we look back at a mistake we've made and we say I should have done this or I should have done that we're not suggesting going back in a time machine and changing it but what we are doing is we're taking a mental note right we're taking a mental note of how we're going to do it different in the future. So in that way, shoulds and should nots are constructive. But in this other way, he shouldn't be able to say that to me. Okay, but he did. He did say that to you. So of what use is this fictional should and should not? See that in that context, in that scenario, it's completely pointless. It's a it's a form of denial. Instead of just accepting that he did say that to you and got away with it, you're stuck emotionally in this state of shoulds and should nots that doesn't exist. So it, it really is. It's a rejection of reality. It's an emotional rejection of what just is. Letting go of resentment is acceptance. It's born from acceptance. Because if resentment is a form of denial, well then, letting go of resentment is a form of acceptance. Right? I should not have suffered such an injustice at the hands of this person. Okay? But you did. You did. Well, he shouldn't be able to get away with it. Yeah, but he is getting away with it in a way. Um, 
you have options by the way we're going to talk about this in the, as we continue this discussion about forgiveness you have options so that a person doesn't get away with these injustices but it's interesting to me that so many of you don't don't exercise this requirement for being healthy what is the requirement for being healthy when it comes to people who have seriously wronged us the healthy requirement is to hold those people to consequences and conditions but when it comes to family many of you are willing to just forget about all that aren't you forget about all that but stew in the shoulds and should nots the resentment of it all so that's one distinct thing that people are talking about when they when the, when the average person talks about forgiveness that's one distinct thing that they are referring to letting go of resentment but there's a number two you know what the number two thing most people in general are speaking about when they talk about forgiveness number two is allowing another person back into your good graces that is to say to consider a debt paid in other words you have received compensation for them for the injustice that they committed against you so do we have the two distinct meanings for forgiveness in mind remember I told you it, this is one of those words that has two distinct, very distinct meanings that are completely unrelated. Number one, letting go of resentment. And we've talked about how that's just acceptance. Number two, allowing another person back into your good graces. That is to say, viewing yourself as compensated by them. Now think about it real hard for a second. The reason I say that these things are completely unrelated. Letting go of resentment and viewing yourself as compensated are two entirely distinct meanings. Meanings, Jenna, that do not in any way involve the same thing. So think about it real hard. Does me simply not feeling resentment towards a person inevitably mean also allowing them back into my life or allowing them into my life not at all does it how about this does me considering a debt paid inevitably also mean that I've stopped resenting a person not at all you see I can hope well for a person and not resent them while at the same time recognizing that they should not be in my life you do it all the time you do this all the time you do it with puppies and stray kitty cats your kids beg you to adopt a puppy or a kitty cat and take them home and what do you say you say children no no we we just can't take on the added responsibilities at this time or we've already got two dogs we can't we can't have a third dog right 
because you don't want to take that dog or cat into your life, is it proof that you resent the dog or the cat? Absolutely not. Furthermore, <clears throat> the lady at the bank may resent me even after I pay off my car loan. <laughs> Maybe she resents me for something I did when I come into the bank one time. And I end up paying off my loan to the, the bank. Does she automatically stop resenting me? Do her feelings automatically change because I've paid off my debt? Not at all. Not at all. One is not inherently linked to the other. Now at the beginning of this discussion I said that people unhelpfully unhelpfully apply both of these distinct meanings that we've discussed for the word forgiveness and that I can't say that they're doing this improperly or falsely. This is because technically both of these meanings are in fact legitimate meanings for the word forgiveness. However, just because both meanings or connotations are technically legitimate uses of the word forgiveness does not mean that it is in your or anybody else's best interest to continue using the word forgiveness in both ways because all it does is contribute to and enforce confusion and distorted and unhealthy understandings about life. Do you remember what we said the two completely distinct unrelated meanings or connotations of the word forgiveness are? We just got done talking about them. Number one, letting go of resentment. Number two, allowing another person into our good graces or back into our good graces. That is to say, to consider a debt paid. Now we're not talking about a monetary debt, we're talking about uh, compensation for a, an injustice that has been committed against you. Letting go of resentment, which again, remember it's acceptance, it's a form of acceptance. Uh, who is that one for? Is that something we do for another person primarily or is that something we do primarily for ourselves? Letting go of resentment. That is something that we primarily do for ourselves. You see, it's a favor we do for ourselves so as to not lose peace or to not continue losing peace. What does uh, letting go of resentment involve? It involves our thoughts and our feelings in that order. Why in that order? It has to occur in that order because nobody Nobody walking around on the earth has a resentment switch inside of themselves that they can just flip up or flip down to turn resentment on and turn resentment off. Nobody has direct control to over his or her feelings in this way. Choosing what we feel is not something human beings are able to do since feelings are something we experience as human beings. Why is that relevant? Because something you experience is not something you do. There's lots of things that as human beings we do, uh, but feelings are not one of those things. Feelings are something we experience.
So because they're just a thing we experience, it's not like there's a we can just choose to feel one way or feel another way. Uh, the experience is what the ex- whatever the experience is. That's why expressions like "don't be mad" are so stupid and destructive. They they reflect a completely f- uh, false, completely false understanding about the nature of feelings. Likewise, just as stupid and destructive is the term. Uh, come on, be happy. Come on, be happy. Just you know, get. Click that switch on inside of yourself, the happy switch. Click it on and click the sad switch off. It's absurd. You know, people, we don't have choices over our feelings in that way. And isn't it so common to hear people say those things? Oh, don't don't be sad. Don't be sad. Oh, okay. Click. Okay, I'm not sad anymore. Now now what feeling would you like me to feel? It's absurd. The people uttering those expressions, whether they know it or not, have a completely inappropriate and false understanding about the nature of feelings, how they work, what they do, what they are. So are you beginning to understand why letting go of resentment involves our thoughts first and then our feelings in that order? Because every feeling that we experience is preceded by thoughts. That's right. Our feelings are born directly from our thoughts. And we do have full control over not only what what we continue thinking about, but also how we continue thinking about a thing. So letting go of resentment involves recognizing what thoughts we live with that are given birth to resentment. And then choosing, number one, to stop allowing ourselves to think certain things altogether. Or number two, to think about some other things more and other things less. So to accentuate or emphasize certain things and de-emphasize other things. Number three, to think about the same things that we've already been thinking about, but to choose to think about them in a different way. I honestly can't stress this enough. Nothing has become more practically useful or powerful in my life than the realization that the solution to almost every problem is how I myself am choosing to think about a thing. Maybe I should repeat that. Nothing in all of my recovery and all the things, all the insights I've gained and everything I've learned, nothing has become more practically useful or powerful in my life than the realization that the solution to almost every problem I face or every problem I feel that I'm experiencing in my life, the solution to almost every one is how I myself am choosing to think about the thing. Uh, I ain't kidding. This is one of the most powerful things in my life uh, that I use all the time, very practical ways. When I'm having a bad day, for example, the first thing I do is look at what my thoughts are doing 
right? So I look inside myself. I analyze what, because most of the time when you're going about your day, isn't it true that you're not paying attention to your thoughts? Your thoughts are just there. I mean, you're really not paying attention to them. You're doing something, you're calling people, you're working, you're watching something, you're reading something, and, and all this time, there's these thoughts in the background, right? That are kind of kind of playing, playing out in your head. So you understand what I'm saying. When I realize I'm having a bad day, quote unquote, you know, a bad day, quote unquote, first thing I do is look at what my thoughts are doing. So now instead of them just playing kind of in the background or off on their own, now I'm, I'm taking a look at them. At them. I, I'm, I'm now turning my attention to my thoughts to see what they're doing. And why do I do that? Because I want to understand why am I having a bad day or even am I really having a bad day? If I see that my mind is hanging on to a bunch of negative thoughts and that's why I'm interpreting my day in such a negative way, I simply choose different things to think about. Or I think about the same things, but I think about them in a different way. And guess what? My day gets better. No matter how bad and grumpy and miserable my day seems, I guarantee that it's not the day in most cases. In most cases, it's simply my thoughts, my negative thoughts that are making me interpret everything going on in that day in a negative way. If everybody around me seems to be annoying and troublesome on a certain day, I stop and I take a look at my thoughts. And then you know what I usually realize? That it's not the it's not that the people around me are being more annoying or troublesome than usual, but that instead it's my own negative thinking that is making it seem that way, which in turn is making me feel negative. Negative Nancy. So I choose to think about different things or to think about the same things but in a different way. And suddenly, people don't seem so annoying anymore. I have uh, two new puppies. They're right behind me here in their crate. Puppies, as you know, they chew up and destroy everything. They get into places they aren't supposed to be. They get a hold of things they're not supposed to have. When I realize I'm beginning to get frustrated at the destruction that they cause, the first thing I do is check the sorts of thoughts I have been allowing to play in the background of my mind. I then choose to think about things differently. And you know what happens? Suddenly, the destruction that my pups are creating just ain't as frustrating anymore. Instead, you know what happens? It becomes comical, endearing, and precious. I think to myself, their puppyhood is going to last such a short amount of time. I really need to enjoy these aspects of puppyhood because pretty soon 
they're all going to be all grown up and I won't have these little cute little pups around anymore so I got to accept these pups and the things that pups do and appreciate appreciate it while I can here's something that if it hasn't occurred to you it should how did I cure myself of borderline personality disorder think about it how did I do that if you strip down to the bare bones what it is that I did what is it that I did that took me from somebody who was completely enslaved to that emotional disorder that lifelong emotional disorder to now somebody completely free of it in the simplest terms possible how did I do it I identified thoughts that were incorrect and I corrected them in other words I began thinking differently that's all there was to it honestly now granted we're talking about something that's much easier to say than to do but nevertheless that is the nature of the cure to all emotional disorders borderline personality disorder included just thinking different in fact I I'd bet you a nickel that simply thinking different is the primary factor between a baseball team playing poorly one year and going to the World Series the very next year just look at Cincinnati the Cincinnati Reds this year you can't get tickets to their games why not I didn't have any trouble getting tickets to their games last year the reason is this apparently they had different thinking going into this season then they started playing well when they started playing well they started believing in themselves because they started believing in themselves and playing well they've continued believing in themselves and they've continued playing well their thinking more optimistically actually makes them behave more optimistically and to desire playing harder and what about nobody wanting to attend the games last year well all those people's thinking has changed too hasn't it suddenly they all want to be at the games they want to be able to say that they were there this season they anticipate seeing something wonderful happen because the team is thinking different the thousands or even millions of fans are thinking different because the team and the fans are thinking different all of baseball is thinking about them differently so you know better start watching those Cincinnati Reds now I do have to stress that this type of thinking differently is not the type of thinking differently that's going to cure you or anybody else of an emotional disorder no you can't just think optimistically and cure yourself of fundamentally false and unhealthy thinking to do that one has to identify what they have been educated incorrectly about what 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 about their thinking is fundamentally incorrect 
identify those things, those completely false understandings of things, and correct them. So you see what I'm saying? One can't cure fundamentally flawed notions merely by thinking more optimistically. I can't do that any more than I can just wake up tomorrow being an expert at uh, algebra because I think really optimistically about algebra. Now, I I still have to learn algebra. I, I have to learn what I don't know before I can do really good algebra, right? Me just saying, you know what? You are, you know, looking in a mirror. Brian, you are an expert in algebra. Think positively, Barnett. You are an expert at algebra. And then just one day, poof, I know algebra. That's not, it doesn't work that way. So when you have an emotional disorder, just saying, you know what? You are cured. You are cured. Think positively. You know, you love yourself and all these things. Ain't going to get it done. So if I live with the terribly destructive belief that human value depends on what other people think of me, my choosing to think more optimistically, while at the same time never rooting out that false belief and changing it, is not going to fix that false belief, nor is it going to make the natural natural destructive consequences that come along with it magically go away. No, I have to identify the thinking inside of myself that is erroneous and correct that thinking, replace it with thinking that is better reflective of truth. Still, at the end of the day, if we're just going to say it as simply as we possibly can, the cure does involve thinking differently. Thinking differently because you see how your previous thinking was flawed, So you adopt a better understanding and you move on thinking in new, more accurate, healthier ways. But, again, in both examples, you know, let's say in the example of the Cincinnati Reds and the example in me curing myself of borderline personality disorder, in both examples, when you strip away everything and you just get down to the the bare bones of what, what I did, what the Cincinnati Reds apparently have done, is think differently think differently in the case of the reds they think they're just thinking more optimistically and you know every win every time they do well contributes to them continuing to think more positively doesn't it in my case my thinking differently involved going back recognizing some uh, fundamental things that i was completely wrong about in my thinking identifying those things and correcting them and then going on to think differently for that reason but in both cases thinking is unbelievably powerful it's the cause of almost all problems it's the solution to almost all problems now before we move on from letting go of resentment which remember what we said is a form of uh, acceptance right before we move on from that to help any of you who are struggling to let go of resentment there's two things I'd like you to keep in mind that you should find (laughs) that you could find very extremely helpful in your efforts that is this when you sit down and you tap into those feelings of resentment and the message uh, what's giving birth to them 
analyze yourself and I think you will find that they're being born of thinking that is based on shoulds and should nots because a lot of resentment is born from from thinking about injustices that we've suffered in terms of shoulds and should nots particularly injustices where it seems like on the surface that the person is getting off scot-free from their injustice from committing a great injustice but what is the dialogue he shouldn't be allowed to do that he shouldn't be able to get away with that or she right that is the the inner dialogue and remind yourself that that is a really strong form of denial because we don't live in a world of shoulds and should nots if you think about for example how ridiculous it is think about me having this conversation with myself daggum I, I shouldn't be I shouldn't be almost 50 years old I shouldn't be that why is that ridiculous <laughs> because no matter what I think I should or shouldn't be the only thing that matters is what is that's the only thing that matters not whether I think I should be almost 50 years old or I shouldn't be almost 50 years old the only thing that matters is what is so do you see how that type of a conversation inside myself oh, I shouldn't be I shouldn't be almost 50 years old do you see how that's a form of denial it's absolutely not ceasing to emotionally rebel against a reality so think about any injustices in your life where the dialogue in your head is he shouldn't have done this she shouldn't have done that she shouldn't have said that to me he shouldn't be able to get away with it he shouldn't be out there have, living such a happy life right now after all he did to me what is that it's this fictional world that does not exist of shoulds and should nots it's an emotional rejection of what simply is but take heart something that should <laughs> that could help you achieve acceptance in this area is the fact that nobody who's unhealthy is getting away with anything they're suffering more than anybody so your primary focus really could be on your own emotional health on letting go of that resentment remember letting go of resentment is a form of acceptance so those are the two things I'd like you to remember as you're working on letting go of resentment number one analyze yourself to see if the dialogue inside of yourself is based on shoulds and should nots and surrender that surrender it away for something better something superior and that is just looking at the thing and saying well that is what it is I am almost 50 whether I like it or not there is no should or shouldn't about it it just is what it is I am almost 50 the other thing is acceptance right that's what you're trying to achieve is acceptance and acceptance is again when we stop emotionally rebelling against the reality we just say that's what it is I, I always use uh, mourning mourning the death of somebody as a perfect example of denial uh, because that's what it is your emotion you may logically you may intellectually know that the person is gone 
but emotionally you haven't accepted it yet. What happens when a person comes out of mourning? Is it that they're okay now that the, the person died? I mean, that they, they're agreeable to the fact that the person they love died? No. Being in agreement with it has nothing to do with anything. Coming out of mourning is simply them ceasing to emotionally rebel against what just is the reality now. That's what it is. And so it's no different than, you know, in the situations where we've suffered tremendous injustices. Now, I can't remember if I got this in the outline or not later on, but do you remember that what we said at the very beginning, uh, these two forms of forgiveness, which, again, I, I, I would not call this letting go of resentment forgiveness because it's, it creates unnecessary confusion. But it is a legitimate use of the word forgiveness, unfortunately. Unfortunately for my work. But I'm not sure that I would have ever recovered from my emotional disorder if I had not figured out the two different connotations of forgiveness and, and if I had not recognized that letting go of accept, uh, letting go of resentment involves acceptance therefore when a lot of people are talking about forgiveness they unknowingly are actually talking about acceptance it's more constructive much more constructive for people's emotional health to separate one as acceptance and the other as forgiveness letting go of resentment is acceptance and acceptance and another reason why that's so important is because acceptance plays such a huge role in recovery in so many different aspects of getting healthy and staying healthy much more valuable i think to think of that in terms of acceptance now the other thing the other form of forgiveness do you remember what we said that was it was the other connotation that is of allowing another person back into our good graces now, how, how is it true that allowing another person back into our good graces, which is what I call forgiveness? Forgiveness is when you say, you know what? You owe me no compensation for anything. I'm just going to let you back into my... I'm, I consider us square. I consider all debts paid. We're, we're even Stephen. Now you can come back into my life. That is forgiveness. You can hopefully see why it's so destructive to get those two things confused letting go of resentment simply involves your feelings how you feel about a thing letting somebody back into your life or back into your good graces or considering a debt canceled is quite a different thing isn't it so if you have an improper idea of forgiveness and you apply it in the you apply the wrong connotation to the wrong circumstance you can be causing a lot more harm than good. Is forgiveness, this forgiveness of allowing somebody back into our good graces or of canceling a debt, is that something we do for ourselves or is that something we primarily do for others? Well, just as letting go of resentment is something that we do for ourselves based on our thinking, the way we choose to think and view a thing, we are then able to cease emotionally rejecting a reality. Ah, now we can just move on with our lives. The feelings go away. The feelings of resentment go away on their own. But what about letting somebody back into our good graces or you know, considering a debt canceled? 
that's not something that's primarily for us. That's something that's primarily for the offender. You see, that's something that we extend to them. The reason I talk about it as considering a debt paid or as compensation made is because that is what it really involves. Relationships, all relationships are contracts. Have you ever thought about it that way? Any type of relationship you get into is a contract that you and another person are agreeing to and entering into. Just last week, I was in a park in the big city. Went to the big city, take my daughter to see old Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. And afterwards, I took my daughter to a park, and there was a guy sitting on the park bench while I was waiting, letting my daughter play. The moment I decided to sit down and start a conversation with that feller, I was offering to enter into an agreement with him. The moment he chose to remain seated and engage with me in the conversation, he accepted entering into that agreement himself. What were the unspoken obligations and responsibilities that we were both agreeing to at that point? To share of ourselves, to remain friendly and respectful. Now, if either one of us, and you notice, by the way, what we're talking about here, obligations and responsibilities, in agreeing to enter into this relationship that came with obligations for each one of us and responsibilities. What if either one of us had failed in our small obligations and responsibilities in that scenario? There would have been consequences. A best case scenario might have involved one of us getting up and walking away. A worst case scenario might have been a fist fight. But what about afterwards? Let's say that that would have happened. What about afterwards? You imagine this person walking around, if, if I were the one who failed in my responsibilities and obligations, he'd be walking around viewing that situation as an unpaid debt, wouldn't he? Because I failed in my responsibilities to him. So he would be walking around viewing me as somebody who owes him a debt. I would have to make that right before we could be right, before our relationship could resume, or things could be, we could be square, we could be even. You see, the failure to live up to the obligations and responsibilities of that very simple relationship would have created what? It would have created a vacuum or negative space. So, again, one of us would have been walking around afterwards indebted to the other unless the offender, whether that was me or him, put things right. Failing in an obligation or responsibility creates a vacuum or a negative space. It would be helpful for you to start thinking of it that way. Think about your parents. Did they fail in their responsibilities to you? Well, the result of that was a great big empty space or negative space or a vacuum where they where their responsibility was supposed to go and fill that space in they failed so it never got filled in you grew up with that great void b being left unfilled 
their responsibilities to you. What the person responsible for a thing was supposed to provide there, they never provided. Therefore, it's left vacant. That vacuum or negative space continues to exist until it gets filled. How does it get filled? By the offender paying their debt. That is to say, making up for their failure. In the form of what? In the form of consequences and conditions which replaces or fills in for the responsibility they originally failed to live up to. Remember that guy on the park bench I was just telling you about? Well, fortunately, we both lived up to the contract or the agreement that we entered into with each other that day. And we since entered into additional contracts. He came to my house the very next day to see my last remaining puppy from my recent litter of puppies, and he's agreed to adopt her. Drove almost two hours south that next morning to my house. His name's Dave. He has a five-year-old daughter, and they're all excited about welcoming a new dog into their lives. But more than that, he and I have a lot of things in common, and we're starting to become friends. We're making plans to get together for a barbecue soon. Anybody we allow into our lives and that chooses to be in our lives themselves as well as allow us into their lives in return accepts certain unspoken obligations and responsibilities. Just like when I enter into a relationship with a bank, this gives birth to obligations and responsibilities that I'm agreeing to take on. If I fail to live up to any of my obligations or responsibilities with the bank, what does that create? It creates a vacuum or a negative space, doesn't it? So for example, if I take out a loan and one month I miss the payment on that loan, what is that payment, by the way? It's my obligation. It's my responsibility. So I miss the payment on that loan. The payment that was supposed to be made never got made. So what's there in its place? A vacuum. Until I fill that empty space and turn it from a negative into a positive, things can't be right between me and the bank. So it's the same when uh, somebody commits a real offense against us. They, they fail in a responsibility. That is the offense. They are now the offender, and now they are indebted to us. They owe us the debt of taking this situation that's out of harmony and balance and putting things right so that everything comes back into balance. This is why we, re we refer to situations like this as putting things right. That's what putting things right is. It's providing compensation to make you and I square. There, I owe you no compensation anymore because I've, I've paid it. I've paid the debt. As we already illustrated in the example of the puppies, I can let go of my resentment for somebody who's wronged me in a serious way while at the same time not embracing them back into my good graces. I may be able to let go of any feelings of resentment and not hate that person or hold any grudges, but at the same time, 
I may recognize, I may, I may continue to recognize that they have not met certain conditions for me to healthfully be able to have interactions with them or to allow them back into my life. And therefore, I keep them out of my life. In a religious sense, half of the time that the Bible uses the term forgiveness, as I mentioned at the outset, I think, it's in reality talking about acceptance in the sense of letting go of resentment. What it's not talking about is forgiveness in the sense of letting people off the hook for serious offenses that they're neither sensitive or remorseful about. True forgiveness is something for others. It's not something for ourselves. It's it's us telling others that they are free of any requirements whatsoever to make compensation to us for anything. Whereas acceptance is just letting go of resentment. We, we look at a great injustice that we've suffered and we simply accept that things have happened the way that they happened. They can never be undone. We let go of any hate or frustration we might be holding on to. And we move on in our lives. It's this aspect of emotional health that a majority of people mistakenly think of as forgiveness. Again, not mistakenly think of as, as forgiveness, but inappropriately apply. Acceptance, what they're talking about. Acceptance is something we do for our own selves. It's not something we extend to others. So the, the error in thinking around forgiveness, the confusion, even among really smart people, comes down to a common misunderstanding of the way words can carry multiple completely unrelated connotations. Most of the time this doesn't create a lot of confusion like the example we used with the word light. In the case of emotional health though where many things hinge on a very precise understanding of very subtle concepts it creates great confusion. So although it's not technically incorrect to refer to letting go of resentment as forgiveness I have sworn off completely using the word forgiveness in this way and I hope you will too because as you can see it, it, it creates great unnecessary confusion. In what types of circumstances can you not healthily forgive another person that is to say allow them back into your good graces or consider their debt paid until the offender has suffered consequences and the offender has met specific conditions. In other words, until they have compensated for their injustice or their offense. Maybe you want to write this down because the emphasis here is healthily or healthfully, right? You can forgive whoever you want to. You can't forgive anybody you want to in any circumstances and do so healthfully. To do so healthfully requires, in certain circumstances, that a person be held to consequences, face consequences, and meet conditions before you can healthfully extend that forgiveness. So let me reiterate that. You can do whatever you want to do, but you can't do whatever you want to do and it be healthy or you remain healthy. In order for it to be healthy and for you to remain healthy, there are certain circumstances where a person must suffer consequences, must be allowed to suffer consequences, 
must be held to conditions, must meet conditions before uh, compensation, you can, you can view yourself as compensation having been made, all debts being paid. Why do I say that it's not healthy to forgive a person in the sense of letting them back into your good graces or viewing them as owing you no compensation until they've suffered consequences and also have met conditions? Because to extend forgiveness in such circumstances is to enable emotional unhealth. It's to support and participate in emotional unhealth to enable other people to remain emotionally unhealthy. So I have five uh, circumstances where it's not, where you cannot healthily forgive a person until they have suffered consequences and they've paid restitution. Number one, anytime there is abuse, Anytime a person is responsible for emotional, physical, mental, spiritual abuse. That's number one. Number two, anytime somebody has failed to look at you or look at those you're responsible for as a person and to treat you or them as a person. Anytime somebody fails to do that, why? Because it gives birth to the number one anytime there's abuse where does abuse come from it comes from a failure to respect people and view them as people right you view them as property you view them as uh, NPCs you view them as lots of things but you don't view them as people otherwise you wouldn't be abusing them so number one anytime there's abuse number two anybody anytime somebody fails to look at you or somebody in your care or somebody that you're responsible for as a person and treat you or them as a person. Why? Because failure to look at you as a person or to look at anybody as a person gives birth to number one, abuse. Circumstance number three, anytime somebody flagrantly ignores or disregards any of the laws of emotional health, you must must hold them to conditions and consequences. Anytime somebody fails or is contributing to emotional unhealth or fails to live up to the laws of emotional health because you failing to hold them to consequences and conditions is then enabling them to continue in this unhealthy way. Number four, anytime somebody who's committed to God and knows better has flagrantly broken one of God's laws without remorse. Number five, anytime somebody fails to live up to a solemn vow, commitment, or responsibility. Let's go through them one more time. Five circumstances where you cannot healthfully forgive a person, that is to say, allow them back into your good graces or consider them as having paid uh, compensation for some injustice, five circumstances where you cannot healthfully extend forgiveness to them. Number one, anytime there's abuse. Number two, anytime somebody fails to look at you or those you're responsible for as people and to treat them as people. Number three, Anytime somebody flagrantly ignores or disregards any of the laws of emotional health, 
Number four, anytime somebody who's committed to God and knows better flagrantly breaks one of God's laws without remorse. Number five, anytime somebody fails to live up to a solemn vow, commitment, or responsibility. In my case, my father failed to live up to a solemn responsibility to me as a child. He was abusive. He, he matches a lot of these. <laughs> Flagrantly ignores and disregards laws and principles of emotional health. So this is not. these are not conditions or circumstances where I can just go, you know what, I, I forgive you anyway. I'm going to allow you back into my good graces. Consider all debts paid. Don't worry about it, old dad. No, no big deal. I cannot do that. I cannot do that healthfully extend forgiveness in that way and remain healthy myself. Doing so inherently is an act of unhealth. So definitely I don't want to be an enabler in any way that act would act in any way that would obstruct or prevent my father from ever enjoying emotional health himself. I would never want to act or participate in any way in any type of behaviors or anything like that that would enable my father to remain unhealthy and sad and miserable. Uh, that wouldn't be very loving. To extend forgiveness in these circumstances is to enable emotional unhealth in the world. In addition to the law of individual rights, responsibility, and authority that we always talk about here, there's another law of emotional health that's every bit as important to know about and live harmoniously with, and I call it the law of enabling. The law of enabling has always existed. We've talked about it and described it in the past, but I've never given it a name until just recently. The law of enabling. It says that you're always supporting or enabling something. Think about that. You're always, there's never a time when you're not being supportive of something. So I talk to folks a lot of times and they, you know, I want to be supportive. I want to be supportive of my loved one. And I say, well, you know, you, you have been supportive. You've been supporting all the wrong things. That's why they're still unhealthy. You're always supporting something. The, the real thing you should be concerned about is supporting the right things and never supporting the wrong things. That is to say, always supporting the healthy things, never supporting unhealthy things. You can only be healthy yourself. So here's what the law of enabling says. It says you're always supporting or enabling something. But you, you can only be healthy yourself as long as you are not supporting, enabling, participating in, contributing to any aspect of emotional health, unhealth in life. To give you an example, if my brother were to come to me and say that he wants to rob a bank tomorrow, Anything I do to contribute to his ability to rob the bank is me participating in the act of the bank robbery. Even if it's something as small as me just wishing him well in his endeavor. Now, it's different than me just wishing him well overall in life. 
I'm talking about wishing him well in his attempts to rob the bank. I cannot do that and at the same time not be a participant in the bank robbery. In order to be a not be a participant in the bank robbery at all, I cannot in any way support his robbing the bank. I can't do anything that supports it or that makes it possible, you see. I cannot wish him well in an endeavor that's harmful to himself, harmful to other people, and that can only lead to pain, and at the same time consider myself a non-contributor to his pain and other people's pain and any resulting harm. Therefore, the only other option available to me in such a scenario is to only support or enable things that contribute to his inability to carry out the bank robbery. So you see, I'm still supporting him. I'm still supporting him. I'm just supporting him in a way that's good for him. I'm supporting the right things rather than the wrong things. I'm supporting what's good for him rather than what is bad for him. Remember that staying out of people's business, which is you know, what the law of individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority is all about, that is recognizing that only they have the right to choose how to live their own lives. Remember that that is not the same as assisting them to live their lives however they want. What would be an example of that? Offer an emotional support to allow them to continue in ways that are inherently destructive. That would be a way. Staying out of people's business is not the same as assisting them to live however they want. You must be very careful and discerning that your acceptance of unhealthy people's right to live however they want does not cross this forbidden boundary where you're not only accepting of their right to make cho their own choices, but now you're actually contributing to their unhealthy choices, to their unhealthy thinking, to their distorted thinking, to their outright false thinking, and so forth. Once you become a contributor or a participant in it, then you share in the emotional unhealth and the negative effects that naturally accompany it. Why? Because you're contributing to somebody else's ultimate harm and unhappiness, which robs you of inner peace and unhappiness. You're even doing such a thing would be evidence of your own unhealthy thinking and attitudes allowing you to think and act in such a way in the first place. Otherwise, you wouldn't be contributing in that way. And unhealthy thinking and unhealthy attitudes only lead to disorder and unhappiness. They cannot lead to emotional health and peace. So do you see? Extending forgiveness, that is to say, hey, no, there's... You, you owe me no compensation whatsoever. I consider all debts settled. You haven't shown any remorse. You, don't, you haven't done anything to make compensation for your failures, the failures of your responsibilities. You haven't done these things, but I'm not going to hold you to any consequences and conditions. I'm just going to let you right back into my life, come on in here like nothing ever happened. What are you doing? You're enabling the person to continue being healthy, unhealthy, unhealthy and to continue thinking in the fundamentally unhealthy, flawed ways that they have been thinking their entire life. 
the only healthy way for you to deal with such people in the uh, circumstances that I specifically mentioned is to absolutely strictly hold them to consequences and conditions anytime there's abuse anytime somebody fails to view you or those you're responsible for as people and treat you as such three anytime somebody flagrantly ignores or disregards any of the laws of emotional health four anytime somebody who's committed to God and knows better has flagrantly broken one of God's laws without any remorse number five Anytime somebody fails to live up to a solemn vow, a solemn commitment, or a solemn responsibility. Folks, we're out of time. That's all the time we got today. Hope you enjoyed this conversation. Uh, run over to thelastsymptom.com uh, for the free and paid resources I offer over there. And uh, give me a donation while you're there or schedule a phone call with me or something like that. Join us over on our uh, exclusive online community. That's available at thelastsymptom.locals.com you can also download the locals.com app from the app store and uh, join us by searching for The Last Symptom by Brian Barnett take care I'll see you next episode